Welcome to episode five of You Shall Not Pass Go. We are your hosts, Dave and Jengis, and we're hosted on GeekAid.com. What's your geek? And today we have a special guest. Uh, James. I'm uh, James from the Non-Productive Show, and I've known you guys quite a while. Yes, you have. <laughs> so, uh, I also want to plug Garden State Comic Fest, July 9th and 10th at the Menon Sports Arena in East Hanover. Come on down. Geek Aid will be there. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. I might have to still buy tickets. <laughs> <laughs> so, starting off today, uh, on the list of things we're going to talk about, we are going... And we do have a list. We do have do a list, and I'm looking at it. Do not Eternal Masters. <laughs> Eternal Masters. Eternal Masters finally came out. Yes. Um, James has not played Magic in a while. Oh, boy. <laughs> By a while, he means years. I'm very out of the magic circle. It was definitely a big thing for me when I was in high school and into early college, but um, magic's expensive. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, we all know. And that is the perfect way to describe Eternal Masters. <laughs> <laughs> is expensive and old. <laughs> those are the de- definitely the key words. So for those of you that don't know, Eternal Masters, the new set of magic, is a special special uh set like modern masters mm-hmm. um each of these premium packs only i think there's 24 as opposed to 36 per box so harder to find the cards that you want the rarity is different and skewed the plus side is there is a foil in every pack um, yes. of something the downside is the packs cost depending on where you go and upwards of ten dollars to twelve dollars it's a, a pack. very limited run yes they don't print a lot um so that's why usually these things go quick and are very highly sought after after their the print is done right eternal masters is to promote the vintage uh format of magic which is funny because i kind of don't think the cards in eternal masters will get you into a vintage tournament no i'm almost positive it's not even close to being what you need to win a vintage game there are some good cards in there force of will that would be the key card we talked about it last time on (laughs) our podcast when it was previewed that is probably one of the key cards that will help you in a legacy deck, but there are no dual lands. I think that it is still a fun set to get. A bunch of old cards reprinted, new art, new Sensei's Divining Top art. That card, I got Sensei's Divining Top. James, you ever play Sensei's Divining Top? That's from way back. What do we consider way back? Like uh, older... Kamigawa, that was it? Kamigawa. That yeah. was Kamigawa, then yes. Yes, yeah. I remember. I think I started with Mirrodin? Oh, okay. Mirrodin block? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I think that's, I, I, you know, I have some cards pre Mirrodin because, you know, we go to the card shops or whatever and kind of started from there. But I'm going to say I started playing, um, you know, in Friday Night Magic and a bunch of tournaments, Mirrodin block. Yeah. So, yeah, there were, you would have probably had some of the, you might, maybe. The name <laughs> sounds familiar. That's- well, I will tell you what it does. It is a one drop artifact that for one of any color mana, you can look at the top three cards of your library, rearrange them in any order, and put them back. You can also tap it and replace it with the top card. On your library. You mean so, Professor Oak from the Pokemon <laughs> game card Professor Oak wins games. That is still my strategy in Pokemon. <laughs> Professor Oak just wins games. No doubt. Um, so, 
since his divining top came back out with new art, that card mm-hmm. got extremely like it's. I feel like yeah. people didn't realize how good that card was. I got a playset I remember from New World Manga. I, I remember you getting that playset. It was like a dollar a piece, <laughs> yeah. maybe. You were like way before the the the, the curve. curve. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, everybody was like, "Card advantage is a good thing." And Who now guessed? it got upgraded from an uncommon to a rare, and its price is middling at about twenty five dollars a piece. Yeah, got a playset for a dollar. <laughs> so Eternal Masters has cards like that. Um, some tutors. There's a yeah, the worldly tutor and a vampiric tutor. Vampiric tutor got upgraded. Uh, Mythic. Yeah, because hey, because one black mm, instant <laughs> mm-hmm. and enlightened tutor, another big one. Uh, yes, uh, they didn't print the green, tu- green tutor. Well, green Sun Zenith is kind of a green tutor. It is. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of, uh, an, an, the, along with the tutors, there were a lot of interesting, I mean, not from my perspective, commander staples mm. kind of made it into this set. Like, a lot more than I thought there would Maelstrom be. Maelstrom Wanderer. Yeah, Maelstrom Wanderer. Dak Faden. Dak Faden. Braids, if you like non-red, blue, or red, blue, braid, braids is red, blue now? Braids was in the set? Braids, yeah. Black Braids. Black Braids was in the Black set. Black Braids. Yeah. Um... There were, like, other legendary creatures that are clearly... I mean, nowadays you can tell, like, oh, this is, like, this is Commander Bait, so to speak. Like, this is a legendary that the Wizards is like, hey, Commander players will definitely want to get this. So they throw it in. Um, You know, there are other things... uh, Wrath of God. If you didn't already have a Wrath of God, yeah, you. That's did. a card I know. Hey, that's, that's a card I know. All right, that's um, cr- awesome. But uh, but yeah, there's the, like uh, you know, there's some cards in there. I'm like, oh man, I'm really glad they reprinted these because I actually have to get them for my commander decks. Hopefully, they'll be a little bit cheaper than they are now. Uh, probably not by that much, but still, uh, like Sylvan Library. That was a good. That's a good one for for me, a green red player. Um, but uh, a lot of people, there are a lot of cards that didn't make the cut, so to speak, that some people were kind of uh, on the internet were a little peeved at. Um, like uh, Damnation. People really want that yeah, black life. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm still shocked that they didn't reprint Damnation. I thought Damnation would have been a good um, choice. Choice for uh, a card in Eternal Masters. Yeah. But you know what? You say it's Commander Bait, and I bought a box <laughs> for $250. <laughs> Which is a lot of money for a box for twenty four packs. Magic is expensive. Um, well, what did you I, get in your pull, buddy? Because I, I did not buy any Eternal Masters. I got a Jace the Mind Sculptor, mm. which right then and there paid for a good amount of that box, <laughs> about seventy dollars right there. I think Jesus. right now. Um, I got a sneak attack. I got a foil maze of Ith, mm. which was really nice. Um, what else did I get? Necropotence, which you know. I was like, all right, it's not not the best. Why not? And uh, I feel like there was one other thing that I'm forgetting. The main big, the big thing was definitely oh, the Jace. the Jace and the Mace of it, and the Maze of Ith. But between that and the other rares, I'm pretty sure I came out about even with value of mm-hmm. what I paid for the box, which mm-hmm. is good. Um, all in all, I think it's a solid set. Yeah, I think that a lot of, uh, lot of interesting alternate art that you know collectors would definitely enjoy. People who want to. You know, uh, make their command or make any deck, not just commander, but any deck kind of a little bit more special. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that if by the time you're hearing this, if they're not sold out everywhere and you can get your hands on a box, um, it is worth it. Definitely worth it. 
So how limited uh, is this run for someone who hasn't kind of been following along? Is this really like they're printing like a real limited number that you're going to see these things sell out real fast? I would be shocked if there was any left by the fall and even sooner. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, despite the, the fact that it is like, you know, a magic set that they're printing, they definitely don't, you know, these set, uh, you know, you, these boxes, I mean, well, the last, you know, master set, the boxes well, were used as like prize, you know, for like, I think uh, modern masters though, that stuck around for a while. Yeah. I think they eventually reprinted more. Mm-hmm. There was a second run. I guess it really depends how popular it is and like if it's worth, you know, I'm sure there's some economist at like Wizards was like, you know, watching like the market, so to speak, and like how much, how hard would we hit, uh, you know, the collector market if we reprinted more or if we kept it like this much. I'm sure, you know, far be it from us to really know the workings of Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro. Mm. <laughs> I know their workings. It's give us money, 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 money. <laughs> that's pretty much, that's the marketing strategy. They come and they say money and people go money and they go, oh, yes. <laughs> we have money. Do you have cards? We have cards. <laughs> I'm not even sure it gets that far. It's just money and done. And that's, that's the thing. So, uh, speaking of commander bait, uh, I checked out, a new achievement system. Achievements? Yeah. For magic. For magic. What is this, um, a video game? We've talked about the store Wild Pig Comics before in Kenilworth, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Wild Pig has decided to now have a Commander League, which Ooh. is an interesting way to start playing Commander for you know tournament structure and prize structure. But the main thing that I'm taking away from it is that they have an achievement system, and that's how you get points towards winning the league you rack up a certain amount of points a month and at the end of the month before the next league begins all the people kind of tally up points and that's how they decide a winner now while i wouldn't necessarily want to join the league so to say i thought it might be an interesting uh rule system to incorporate into the big commander games that i kind of host because as we've talked about it before the style we play is the cowboy um, Commander, which if you've ever played the game, bang, it's similar. Um, but I feel like adding this into the overall would give a, a better incentive to make certain plays and to have an overall winner. Some of these I don't think can translate to Cowboy because of the nature of the game. It would be against your role and play style to get certain points and achievements. But I think generally, like some of these make very, very sense to me. Like, for instance, one point for an achievement called Why Me? Be the first player to die in the game. (laughs) I'd get that one a lot. (laughs) Um, There's another one that's just gotcha. That's just eliminating a player. I have a question. Of course. Um, Can you get multiple of the same, like in the same plus category in one game? You can, as long as there's not a rules text in them that say otherwise. Like for instance, on the one point achievement system that they have, it says on ramp. Cast three or more spells that search your library for land cards in a single turn, but Procrastinator is not awarded this turn. And Procrastinator is, I actually think that's a minus two, which is shuffle your library three or more times in a single turn. And I think the, now that you bring up Commander, Commander is a a version of, uh, I'm sorry, Cowboy. Cowboy is a version of Commander that it kind of, dictates the flow of the game so to speak it does um i think these negative points also would definitely help dictate some of the like some play because some people 
you know, I, I know when we play, you know, you have the, the bull. You know. Well, here's the thing. I think in Cowboy Commander, like, for instance, they have a minus one point that says attack the same opponent over your that's, last three combat phases. In Cowboy, I don't think you could use that. Yeah. Because if you're an outlaw, your goal is to kill the sheriff. But what I'm saying is, in a free-for-all type environment, oh, of course. that would definitely be like, hey, I don't want to lose a point for attacking this guy again. I'll attack someone else. Unless you're me and you are the bull, in which case I'd be like, one point is just one point. From the game. <laughs> but wouldn't it get difficult after a while? Particularly the way certain decks are structured. I'm looking at something like Procrastinator, which is shuffle your library three or more times in a single turn. What if you have a really good mill deck? You're shuffling that deck constantly. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's going to hit you in a lot of points. You could be winning games, but losing points. Exactly. So uh, that's why I find the achievement system uh, interesting. And I think <laughs> on the next gathering that I have, see what I did there? Uh, I'm going to <laughs> the finger thing. There it is. James, that's it. You're the only one that's ever seen this. So you can understand the title of our last episode, which was the finger thing. It's this. <laughs> to describe to you, it's it's kind of like a, a wavy motion, like in a small circle around the wrist. Yeah. Sort of. it's, 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 it's very it's difficult. Swish and flick. A swish and flick. Guardian Leviosa. Um, <laughs> but I think that I, I will probably adopt some of these. I think it would be a fun, like, just for, like, a game, if we try, like... Well, I would say it would have to be something that we would do for the night. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, like you for know, the entire one, night, however many games we play, we keep this we, we keep the system up to determine a, a clear winner by the end of the night. Mm -hmm. Because the Cowboy games are fun, but it's just sort of like... So who won? Mm -hmm. You know, this team won, that team won, but what team was I on then? What team was I on here? This way, when everybody's playing, it's still fun to find out if the sheriffs or the outlaws win, but there's also a goal in mind. And also, you don't feel like... You don't feel like you're just going after one thing and if you don't get it that you've lost for instance if a deputy gets knocked out of the game they don't feel like they've just contributed nothing to this game win or lose they still will have gotten themselves some points hopefully over the course of the game uh, some of my favorites uh, on this list a lot of them are the, the minuses false start uh, minus one point play either soul ring or monocrypt on your first turn mm. <laughs> it's just like uh, minus three throw the book argue strenuously about a rules interaction enough to disrupt the flow of the game and be wrong yeah <laughs> if you're right no worries well if you're wrong sore like just sore loser quit the game when you're about to be eliminated i hate when people do that when they're just like oh you know i'm gonna die anyway just so sweep you know <laughs> come on heart of the cards man top draw you don't know that's it you don't know um some of the nice three-point gains uh would be Mine, which is control each opponent's commander over the course of the game. Yeah, that's something that, like, you'd make a deck specifically to try to do that. Right. <laughs> um, which I think is great. Uh, Master Tactician, have no cards in hand and no cards in your library My when God. you win. Route. Eliminate another player with commander damage from their own commander. I've done that before. <laughs> I've done that with a blue deck. Um, all in all, I think it would be an interesting... You know, looking at this list makes me wish I played in this league because it looks a lot of fun. Like definitely, we like, could go. Just, I know <laughs> we could go, man. I I'd, I'd go. The problem is, I have a feeling I get a lot of minuses. Yeah, There's a lot of a lot of my decks like they are definitely in the minus I am, categories. I am a bully. I will attack people who control no non land permanents. 
I will definitely destroy more than four or more of a player's lands in a single turn. Dave will become the the first to get like negative thirty in one game night. Look, look, we call that winning, all right? It's That's right. right. Haste makes waste. Win the game before turn six. If you win the game past turn six, you're just not playing. <laughs> turn one win combo. That's right. Soul ring monocrypt. Um, monopolist. Well, we know how I feel about being one of those. <laughs> Taking four or more turns in a row. That is definitely something I do. Oh, man, Dave. Maybe we shouldn't go. <laughs> But oh boy. Genghis, though, this just means you have a better chance to get more points than Dave. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Don't ruin my strategy. <laughs> Total victory. Eliminate all players simultaneously. <laughs> I've seen that happen before. Uh. Chris, uh, our buddy Chris, lava-lanched the table <laughs> because he was just like, this is how I win. And everybody died. <laughs> I remember that. First blood, be the first player to eliminate another player. Taking you with me. Take out a player in the same turn you're eliminated. Mm-hmm. That's best. Oh, revenge. It's so sweet. <laughs> Spin down. Be the first player to destroy a sensei's divining top. There's an <laughs> achievement for it because it's that good. <laughs> That's funny. That's really funny. Wow. Damn. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I believe it. That's Like I said, these sound really fun. Um, a lot. <laughs> Like definitely hope that we incorporate it in the next game. Yeah, I definitely uh, hope the group kind of uh, kind of goes for it. Um, while speaking about Commander, <laughs> it's an old Commander episode. <laughs> that's right. It's all about that Internal Masters. Uh, I'd like to talk about our favorite commanders. So, James, you've you've never played Commander, correct? I have no uh, other than hearing you guys talk about it on the show. I didn't know Commander was a format. It might not even have been when I was playing. It was. It, it was just called. It was called Elder Dragon Highlander. That sounds familiar. It got licensed officially by Wizards and bought out and rebranded as Commander. Uh, because I guess Elder Dragon Highlander was just a little too wordy it's, for yeah, them. Yeah, it's a big name. Long yeah. to say, hard to brand. Um, <laughs> point of point of fact, though, I guess, point would be, order. or point of, <laughs> point of reference, would be that they still left control of the rules like the ban list and everything else to the original creators. Mm-hmm. So Which the, is neat. Right. So on the Wizards website, they have a listing, but they still have a link. They say for most updated rules, check the official Commander website and a link to the website where Elder Dragon Highlander was created. Um, which I thought was really nice of them to be like, hey, we didn't just like buy you out and own your soul. Like You at least still get to sort of decide a little yeah. bit with this i thought that was really nice but just to kind of show you for those that don't have eyes here in our basement <laughs> um i am pulling out a commander deck for james enjoy that fully work right there it is a <laughs> hundred cards one of them being your commander your commander mm-hmm. plus 99 cards your commander has to be a legendary creature your commander has a color identity this is good for our actually for all of our listeners to learn commander um your commander has a color identity, which is all of the mana symbols that appear within both the casting cost and the rules text of the card. So for this deck that you handed me, the which is Narset. Narset, good because I was going to say that wrong. It's blue, red, and white. Are the col- colors you control? <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah. Um, I in fact play Narset as one of my many commander decks. So yes. So. Many, the color identity many. dictates the cards that you can put into your deck. Except for basic lands, you can only have one of any card in your deck. Um, basic lands, there's no limit. Right. And the cards that you have, 
either must be colorless or pertain to the color identity of your commander. So red, white, and or blue cards only for the Narset deck. Um, so this is like a hundred cards here. What's great is minus a very small ban list. Well, actually, it's not that small, but no, it's, it's in relative fairly. terms of <laughs> in relative terms of magic, it's very small. Um, by the way, there's the Maze of Ith. Oh, you put it in your deck. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, had, I had the old one in here, and I was like, update. Uh, but you can only have, as I said, one of any card. So what I like about it is it allows you to use your collection to its fullest in some ways. Um, because there's no restriction in terms of timing. It's not a cash cow like standard, which they rotate out, you know, every so often. And you have yeah. to have the most recent cards to play. Um, and you only need one as opposed to a play set. You don't have to be like, this is a great card. It costs $80. Mm -hmm. I need, I need four three of more of them. Yeah, <laughs> right? You, can, you, you have to only you have one. You don't want a play set of Jace the Mind Sculptor for your deck. I have three so far. <laughs> I, I pulled one in World Wake originally. I got one in the from the Vault set, and now I got one in Eternal Masters. I'm one more reprint away from owning <laughs> Jace the Mind Sculptor playset. Congratulations! Thanks. I just ho I just hope he keeps value. Um, so, sure in addition to having this deck, otherwise everything else is pretty much the same in terms of how you go about the game. The differences are your commander is in a special place called the command zone to the side of yourself or wherever you put it, uh, wherever you designated the command zone. And at any time, if you have the mana, well, not at any time, but when the rules dictate so, so normally on your main phase, unless you have flash for some reason like Teferi, um, you can cast it as if it were in your hand. However, when it dies or when it is moved to any other zone, so pop back to your hand or to the graveyard, you can instead, or to your deck, you can uh, instead choose to optionally use the replacement effect to throw it back to the command zone. To replay it, you must use its casting cost plus a number of colorless mana, two colorless mana spe uh, specifically, per times you've played it before. So for instance, the second time you will have played it, it will cost two extra colorless mana. The third time, or I shouldn't say colors anymore because colors is a thing. Yeah. Two extra mana. <laughs> Untyped mana. Untyped mana. <laughs> um, third time, it'd be plus four. Fourth time, plus six. So forth and Math. so on. So the more your commander gets destroyed and removed, the harder it is to bring them back into the game. Also, there's a thing called commander damage. Your commander, when it attacks an opponent, if it is unblocked and you deal damage, the normal life in a commander game is 40 life as opposed to 20. However, 21 damage from any single commander in the game will make you lose. So it's important to use your commander, but you have to really think about how you're going to use it because exactly. if you use it too often or too much, it becomes too expensive and it's going to weigh you down. Exactly. Though, though there are some decks that just take a commander for an effect that don't even mean to attack with the commander. Can you use those effects in the command zone, or do they need to be in the game? Depends on the it, card. There are I mean, there's a group of about five commanders that have specific effects that actually say on them when this card is in the command zone, this effect Neat. works. Um, made part of the commander sets that they make. Outside of that, for the most part, there's nothing going on 
while it's in the command zone. It's it's just null and void. Um, it's only really when it comes out. And it can still be countered. And having it countered still costs as you playing it once and will still increase the casting cost. Because well, you take it out, but it's countered. It bounces back to your hand. You have to well, put it back it, in the it command zone. It doesn't go to your hand. It, go, it would go to your graveyard normally. Go graveyard. So it goes just straight to the command zone. So I play Narset, you counter, back to the command zone, cost two more. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. It's but a that's the good thing is that with the recent rule change, you can't ever lose your commander. So t- originally, bouncing to the hand or bouncing to the deck did not activate the replacement effect. Also, originally, if you chose not to use the replacement effect, you couldn't unchoose it later if it tr- if it switched zones. What I mean by that is, for instance, let's say I have Animate Dead in my hand, which would bring another card from Eternal Masters, which would bring. Um, a creature back from my graveyard uh, onto the battlefield. So, so man, 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 dies. dies. So it has to be black man or it can't be Narset. Um, it dies, and instead of having it go back to the command zone, I want to be able to play it for two mana with Animate Dead. So I say, okay, it goes to the graveyard instead. I don't use the replacement effect. The old ruling meant that, let's say, after that happens, you played an instant speed effect that made me remove all cards in my graveyard from the game. I have no way of getting my commander back. My commander was gone. With the new rule change, anytime the commander shifts zones, graveyard to hand, hand out of play, hand to graveyard, wherever, you always have the option to once again use the replacement effect and move it back to the command zone. Got it. Also, as I said, going to your hand and to your deck originally weren't in part of that rule. So if I played like a card like Hinder, which counters target spell and puts that spell on the bottom of its owner's library, you had no way of getting to your commander until you eventually either tutored it or shuffled into it. So the rule changes made that simpler to sort of keep your commander around, but it still gets expensive. So now here's something I'm curious about. Mm-hmm. Where do you start thinking off of how you're going to kind of build your win condition then for a deck like commander? Cause it's sounding like it's a dangerous gamble to put all that, all that kind of pressure on the commander is kind of your win condition. Maybe they're a part of your combo, a part of that plan, but maybe they can't be your be-all, end-all. That's a a great question. It is. (laughs) Um, Really, I think it depends on what type of deck you're playing. Because certain decks, it's not about the commander. It's not even about a win condition so much as a play style. For instance, if you're playing some sort of Boros deck, white and red your goal might to just be get out a lot of creatures and keep swinging and the commander might help you do that or might give you some boon or bonus based on the effect or ability or is affected by having a lot of creatures out right or, you know is stronger because of that but at the end of the day there might not be an actual win con with the commander or even with the deck it might just be a general strategy mm-hmm. or you have a commander like narset <laughs> which is a very very specifically a commander win deck. If you read Narset's ability, and I will explain it once again for the people at home, this Narset, uh, she is naturally has hexproof, which makes her hard to kill when she comes in hexproof because means it can't be targeted by opponents, opponent. spells, or abilities. Um, so better than Shroud. And anytime she swings, she also has first strike. Anytime she swings, I take the top four cards in my library and any non creature non-land cards that I have up there, I can play for free until end of turn. So, because it's non-creature, she's one of three creatures in this deck. If she gets stopped too much, 
my deck gets kind of floundery because the majority of my deck are cards like planeswalkers extra turns so i can i swing with her take an extra turn get the swing on my next turn take an extra turn i have multiple combat cards in here so i can swing multiple times and play like eight or 12 cards in a turn so this deck is very much around her what's great <laughs> is that she already has the shrouded ability and i have cards like cavern of souls which if i use it to um pay for her i can make her uncounterable so I've designed the deck to make sure that she stays out, but you're right. Commanders can be be very, very important, and you have to just sort of be ready to deal with that fact in some way, shape, or form. Commander sounds like a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. Uh, You know, that's funny. Uh, I was just looking at the achievement list, and there's one that that I don't think uh, they have... But they should. They should probably have something called like Time Lord, and that's like <laughs> take multiple, uh, take X amount of turns in one game. They have the negative. Oh, I negative. mentioned. Yeah. yeah, I mentioned it earlier. If you look at the negative three. Oh, Monopolist. Yep. Take four or more turns in a row. Yeah, they did that probably <laughs> specifically for Narset <laughs> <laughs> or other things that make it so you can take multiple turns. So moving forward, we also wanted to talk about some of our favorite commanders. Now, Narset is obviously one of mine, <laughs> um, but my other probably top two, so my top three altogether would be Narset tied with Maelstrom Wanderer, who I'm in love with. Mm. And um, I would probably say number three would be Cruffix. I was I'm kind of between Cruffix or Teferi, but while Teferi is a very good deck and very it's very much permission, very much you know comboy, <laughs> Cruffix is more fun to play both for me and for my opponent, mm-hmm. and still has sort of that it gets to that crazy controlly permission point as well at some point. Um, those are my top three favorite commanders. My top three favorite commanders, um, they would have to be. Probably number one, oh, that's a hard one, but I'm going to just, it's probably because it's my favorite kind, is uh, Thromok the Insatiable, mm, or as my, Devour X. as my as my Portuguese version, Thromok el Insatiable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just because he can get real big and he's real cheap, so it's like easy to cast him again, mm-hmm. and if you want to like fling him so you can like deal to, uh, creatures attack damage to someone and not have to attack that's great or you just trample over someone and you know get him real good and plus he's because he's devour x it's exponential so if you devour one it's one devour two and it's four and devour three and it's nine it just gets it's fun like really get ramps up real quick mm-hmm. uh, and the deck i play him in is all about making tokens on the field so you can have like more things to eat and i have other creatures that eat tokens in the deck so if throw box out of the picture i can get something else big in the you know uh uh, my second favorite probably have to be Xenagos, another mm-hmm. red-green commander, um, just because <laughs> I love my big creatures. Yep. I like making creatures big and just... <laughs> you like big, powerful creatures that can haste and trample. <laughs> Pretty much, and smack people around. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why Control makes me so sad. But because Control makes me so sad, <laughs> Dave knows, my number three commander is Animar Soul of the Elements. <laughs> <laughs> because he has a is it hexproof? Does he or he no, can't he has be protection target. white he, and black? Protection white and black, which means that which he, isn't really so much about control, so much as when Jengis built the deck, 
that was your super you can't counter yes. anything deck. No. Everything he put in the deck was like he even put uncounterable counter spells in the deck just because everything he wanted, he wanted it to come out no problems every time. <laughs> <laughs> Every single time. Everything like is either like shrouded or just like can't be countered and there are things to make it so things can't be countered. It's just great. I love it. <laughs> I should have described Maelstrom Wonder, for those that don't know, is a cascading hasting creature. It gives all creatures haste. It double cascades, so oh. when it comes into play, you search for a car or you start revealing cards off the top of your library to find a card that uh, costs less than Maelstrom. And when I say less, it's only ever the eight mana that he normally costs. It doesn't include his his uh, his bigger value as he gains more and more throughout the game. Uh, and you can play that card for free, and then you do that same thing again. You reveal again for another card. Double Cascade. He's a 7-5, and he gives all creatures haste, and his colors are blue, red, and green. So I ramp that deck, and then I get ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then Crufix is a blue-green control deck. Crufix is one of the gods from the Greek Theros block, and uh, his ability is he's indestructible. It gives me unlimited hand size, and anytime I have mana floating, it doesn't go away. It just converts to colorless mana and stays between phases. So I get to save my mana up and then do something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. James doesn't play commander, so James doesn't have a favorite commander. I mean, I looked through <laughs> all of the commanders. I used to run a sliver deck back in the day. I saw that there was some there was sliver queen on there, so I'd throw my hat in the ring probably for that. Yeah. Uh, not knowing sliver I queen know is a great deck. That's anything a about deck. commander. That, hey, that's a common deck for people. Well, because it's all colors, right? And it's, it gives you. It seems like it gives you a lot of a lot of choices and options to work with. So oh, yeah. I'm gonna go Sliver Queen and keep it at that. Cool, <laughs> that's perfect. I guarantee you have people that think the same thing. So those are our favorite commanders. Let us know what your favorite commanders are in the comments below. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to check? I, I, I'll check. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, moving forward next on our list of fantastic things to talk about. Going into uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Yay. Something Jameson knows much more about. I'm very excited about this portion of the, uh, of the chat. It's one of my favorite portions of the podcast. So... Um, I should say that right now that I would like to plug a new, we call it a YouTube series. Yeah. Call it a YouTube series. Tentatively (laughs) named, You Shall Not Pass Go Plays. Except abbreviated, so it's not as wordy. (laughs) And first up on our plays is going to be a Dungeons and Dragons game. That's right. We filmed a and d game. And we're in the process of editing it now, and it should be up on the Geekade YouTube channel soon. So look out for it. For sure. Uh, I will say, though, I was not present for the first game. Uh, so it's just Dave and four of our friends. Uh, but I will be present for, more, more than likely, the future games. So, you know, bear that in mind. But from what I've been told, it was a lot of fun. It, wa- it was a lot of fun. It <laughs> was fantastic. It should be a very entertaining to watch for sure. It was also, there were shameless plugs that didn't exist. We, we would just plug whatever snack we were eating. There was witty banter. There was bad breaking. I'm probably going to edit a lot of that out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, uh, to plug a little bit of some stuff we do, of actually, course. we record uh, a lot of our D and D sessions. We have, um, or a lot of our role playing sessions. We have a, a favorite in our archives that I'm sure I'll mention. I am one of our things today is a Star Wars role playing podcast where we touch upon some of the most obscure characters in the Star Wars universe, like Dan's Boren, oh. that guy in the spacesuit in the cantina in Episode Four. Which, uh, which system do you use for Star Wars? So for so we used a non-Star Wars-based system for it. We adapted a third-party system to do the game, and it's a lot of fun. I'll talk about it when we get into some of our favorite moments, but um, right now we're currently working on a series that is a, a classic D&D 5th edition sort of podcast where we're a group of, I'm going to use heroes in air quotes, <laughs> hunting down an evil group of dwarves that are absolutely in no way the TM group of dwarves from The Hobbit, <laughs> and we are absolutely in no way destroying the the story of The Hobbit <laughs> while playing this game. But uh, you should check it out, non-productive.com. I mean, those, Role the, playing is those great. horrible dwarves are trying to awake the dragon sm- uh, <laughs> not smog. They're trying to steal <laughs> the land. Schmack. <laughs> the dragon schmack. <laughs> That's so, funny. Yeah. No, but I mean, this is great transition. I mean, if you don't mind, this is a great transition. Do you want to talk about some of your favorite, uh, uh, you know, our, our role-playing moments from... Uh- yeah, we're all going to just kind of go around and when we think of one or when we have one, just talk about some of our favorite role-playing moments in these games that we play. Not necessarily even Dungeons & Dragons. Could be from a Star Wars role-play. Could be at a, a, La- a LARP. Yeah, I guess. Could sure. be anything. So, James, why don't you start? Well, all right. So, why don't I start with that... Star Wars role playing. Go right ahead. We decided we were looking for um, a kind of a quick pick up and play game, and we chose a system called Lady Blackbird. Hmm. Um, Never heard of that. Which one. is probably more oriented towards like if you want to do your Firefly role play or something like that. It was originally designed as kind of like a steampunk, you know, crew <laughs> on a ship sort of role play game. But we decided, you know, this would be really kind of cool story oriented game for Star Wars, and um, we picked a whole bunch of characters and we 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 had a whole bunch of individual characters it took place kind of like right post episode uh three Mm -hmm. um you know we had a a clone who had just like denied order 66 we had all these things but i think my favorite moment out of that series was when we landed on an asteroid that was controlled by what could only be described as punk rock wookies (laughs) (laughs) And uh, were the the climactic showdown with who turned out to be the secondary villain for the series, Dan's Boren, happened. (laughs) So it was just a whole lot of fun. It was really cool. I think one of the things I love about kind of role-playing with, um, like, properties TM, like Star Wars, is that you kind of get to touch and shape a lot of these things that, you know, um, I mean, I'm sure with the expanded universe had a large history, but to our knowledge... It didn't, and we got to have some fun with that. And I think that was that was really cool in our Lady Blackbird Star Wars game. That's I'm, we, I'm trying desperately to make a Rogue One joke in here, <laughs> and my brain has not thought of one. So insert Rogue One joke. <laughs> but that's the great thing about Star Wars is that you know, like a lot of these fantasy type, you know, because uh, settings, uh, you know, whether it be sci-fi or fantasy, is that the worlds when we watch them in the movies are so like. They're there. You know there's stuff in the background, so you can, like, ex- extrapolate to no end, like, the number of, like, hey, what happened on, you know, 
you know, Yavin 4 before these, like, you know, these rebels came were after the rebels came, you know, like these places still exist. It's a, a living world, so to speak. And, uh, I'm still here. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I keep say, I say that because I'm smacking my microphone cable with my hand when I make. Jengis is really animated. <laughs> <in this case. laughs> He's very passionate about role play. I speak with my hands. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's you know I, I you know that's funny. Zach uh, <laughs> Bor. Jengis, how about you? You want to go next? Oh sure. Um, uh, you Just know, it's, it's funny because like a, a lot of my favorite role playing moments are because of David. Because <laughs> 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 uh, but I do have another one oh, the next time around. But this first one, uh, I was playing a barbarian named Kurt, and uh, we were in we were chasing down these cultists of Tiamat, um, and we were in a we were we were part of a caravan and we were stopping in this uh this swamp and there was like a, a an inn that we were all staying at including some of the cultists and we were all eating dinner at the time and uh <laughs> the uh one of our adventures uh, one of our adventuring party uh, our friend glenn he he had a bit of the robe of the cultists with him and he he made eye contact with the cultists and cleaned his mouth with the robe and that made that cultist just go crazy and she, they they called she was like calling us out, calling us names. I was, and I was like, I'm a barbarian. I'm not gonna take this. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I just stood up, like, you know, you dare? You know, I, I demand satisfaction from these words you're saying. And then she's just like, Yeah, I want to kill this barbarian. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. So we go downstairs and we have this fight. And I'm a barbarian though, so like, <laughs> so I'm just like raging, and I'm just like have so much health, so much resistance, and I just murder her right. <laughs> There. I don't know. It's just fun. Just be like, yes, just, murder. <laughs> fun. <laughs> it's just fun to like really just get into like you know the the fun of your character of like you know I'm you know I'm a big barbarian. You know I like to fight. I want to fight right now. Let's do this. <laughs> you know? Yeah, definitely. No, I. <laughs> I uh, I remember that moment. I do. I remember just thinking, ah, oh, she's dead. Um, I guess so. I have a lot of favorite moments, and like I said, we'll, we'll go around a couple times. Um, but one that I'm thinking of with James here is actually one that was between James and I. One of my all-time favorite role-play moments um, from a player's side, not a DM side. I was a player in our, our buddy Justin's game. Um, I, I played a, an, a half angel, so to speak. <laughs> Yeah, named Castiel, yeah. loosely based off of the Castiel <laughs> from Supernatural, um, who had a very complicated backstory that I'm not sure will ever be fully divulged because we sort of stopped playing the game. But for, for interested listeners, here it is. His father was a great wizard who, if I remember correctly, based on the backstory I wrote, the only way he could save his angelic spouse was to essentially give himself. He was an Elminster-level like wizard and gave himself to Asmodeus. Oh jeez. As payment for the releasing of his of his love because she had been captured in a war between angels and devils. Ooh. And essentially it was my my then goal as a as a person to rid the world of all evil and to eventually take hopefully my companions with me straight into the nine hells <laughs> to save my father. So 
We never I got, so wanted to play that. <laughs> <laughs> we never quite got that far into my character's backstory. There's small allusions to it. But it's important to know that my character's motivation, he even had a tattoo on his back, which said, suffer no evil. And this is what spawned... Kenshin. Yeah, right? <laughs> this is what spawned one of my favorite roleplay moments. It came when... I'm not quite sure. Maybe James remembers, but we had we were facing off with some bad guys. I believe they might have been werewolves, and we had captured one, and we needed information. And me, the lawful good person, despite being lawful good, I said, "Suffer no evil." So it came down to a question of torture, and I tortured the information out of this 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 being like brutally tortured and saw nothing wrong with it because i was so far up the good butt that i didn't like it didn't register on my scale of that what i was doing morally might come across as evil enter james's character who was just like what the and and it spawned this fantastic role play moral debate with his character and my character and the rest of the party taking sides and like forget about whatever else was going on. I just remember there was a good hour, maybe two hours of us just going back and forth with this debate. You remember, it, right? It was so good. And then that's, I love that. And, and uh, I'll mention my next, but uh, I love that in a role playing game. I'm, I love role playing, you know, clink, clink, hear the dice, hit the big numbers. But to me, it's it's about character interaction and interaction with that story. Totally. And we just had an entire hour in game where our characters had to just really face like the essence and the definition of evil. You know, to Dave's character, Castiel, what he did was not evil because he needed to seek that justice. But to us onlookers, uh, you know, most of us, <laughs> not all, not all. If I remember correctly, Glenn was on my side, <laughs> but you know, to most of us, it was, you know, no, there's a point at which like you can step over that line. And despite no matter how badly you're fighting evil, you can become it, even not, not seeing it. And it was just so good. And, my character at the time, I think, looked up to you greatly, mm-hmm. and that was like that was a real big thing for me. I was playing uh, this young sixteen-year-old girl or whatever who you know kind of was out of home, out of family, um, you know, so clinging to the people around her as best she could, and then kind of seeing like, oh shoot, these people have problems, you know. I think really, oh, it was just so good. I love those <laughs> moments. I, I have to mention that you know up to that point, so Castiel was a very you know, as I say, lawful good. I mean. Truest to the word, very noble. But when it came to smiting evil, like there was a, almost a barbarian like rage within him. Um, and that line wasn't so clear to him. And even at the end of the moral debate, I'm not sure Castiel quite still think <laughs> thought that what he did, it never came, it came to, he felt bad more that it was Cora, right? Yeah, I think so. And he felt, Castiel felt worse that Cora was broken up about it, more so than I think he felt bad about the act. Right. Because in the end, at the end of the day, it had worked and he felt justified <laughs> because it was just like, it, it was like, Guantanamo Bay like there's no oh, there's no there's no laws like when you're evil you're just you're just done you're not you're not a person anymore in his mind you're just like this thing that needs this this plague that needs to be cleansed mm-hmm. which would which was a great 
it would have been great to see more of that and kind of question what does repentance mean in the eyes of Castiel. What happens when he crosses paths with like, say a mayor that used to be a serial killer and had reformed and has done good in the world. And what does Castiel think of that moral dilemma? But the, like I said, the role play moment between James and I, that, that came of that was in my, in my top, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to just be completely naive and oblivious to the evil that I had. Like, I, like when, I, when I say I tortured this dude, I mean, it was brutal. So it's definitely, it was definitely fun. Go ahead, James. That, and that, like I was saying, is my favorite. These character moments are my favorite part of role playing. And there's, um, there's a game that we play, a group of friends in mine, um, called uh, we we dub it the Collateral Damage Game because that's <laughs> the name of our Shadowrun group in our Shadowrun role playing game. Um, and there was something so weird. There was something so weird about, I guess, just when we kind of started this role playing game. I think it was like late junior year, early senior year, or something like that. A lot of us were going through some changes, a lot of doubt, you know, and I think a lot of us had some arguments or particular gripes with each other. And this just became like our our like game for working that shit out. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I mean, and it, it just it leads to moments that are just incredible you know what i mean like we have we have people who won't play in this shadow run game with us because they're like that's your th-. like that is like game is like sacred to you guys <laughs> like <clears throat> you don't want anybody else to come in here i'll come in there and mess that up but it i mean i can just think of moment after moment after moment of just you know like there, there are these two characters who are saving each saving each other all the time and you know like there's like a player player romance going on i have an adopted son in like one of the characters um you know characters in the game died like like in in amazing ways and and stayed dead and we've you know like literally like in those games we cried we wept oh wow i mean it's just so crazy you know like i don't want we haven't come to blows but like i've stood at the end of the table you know and we try to run this group of shadow runners as like basically a bunch of like not really good people who have convinced themselves that they want to do good in the world and they're going to do it through this kind of corrupt way of doing things. And it's, it's literally led to a clash of like personal ideologies through our characters at table. I mean, just some of the best, like, you know, role playing moments I've ever experienced are in that Shadowrun game, you know, and, and we've just been able to manipulate and play with it in ways that are just so, so beautiful and so incredible and so messed up. <laughs> like, I mean, like we had a game that was all about like dream sequences, right? Like one of the characters was able to, for whatever reasons, take control of our minds and stuff. And we were doing one of the other characters at the table's nightmares. <clears throat> And um, this is the character that I shared kind of like a pseudo romance with. And uh, there's James sitting there (laughs) at the other end of the table thinking, man, how the how am I going to fuck this person up? (laughs) 
so bad, like mentally, you know, and I, there's just a scene where I describe, like, I come over and, you know, I'm like having this plea with her. You have to tell us, like, I can't believe you did that. You know, like, why would you? And she's locked up. She's like chained there because she's this powerful, you know, wizard. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I don't know what I did. I don't know what you're talking about. I would never do anything like that. I'm like, just tell me why. Why did you kill all those people? What have you done? You know, and she has nothing, no idea that what's going on. And as we're, into her, as we're kind of like going into her nightmare and I lay my hand on her, you know, like over her heart and I'm like, you know, my, my heart hurts for you. And then all of a sudden, like I, I, I describe like as my fingers kind of like sink into the skin and start to pull out her heart oh and like God. the pain kind of like the Kali Ma, Kali Ma <laughs> moment and like Indiana Jones and then all of a sudden she blinks and it didn't happen. Like I'm still standing right there and she's still in this nightmare chain, yeah. but like, you know, like <clears throat> we really just had to push each other's buttons in that game and it was so amazing. I think we played like four or five like individual mm -hmm. runs of it and and I still think it's like whenever we need to come and kind of work something out, our characters go back into that game and have this kind of long <laughs> you know, this long plot line mm -hmm. with all this stuff happens and it's just these characters you know, my character, John, is just so synonymous with me now, mm -hmm. you know, and I think it's the same for the characters like Daigo and Gibson. And there's a, a art portrait a friend of ours commissioned oh, hanging wow. in my house of these characters. That's, that's how that's how really messed up we are with these characters. <laughs> it's so good. That's funny. Oh, my God. I couldn't even imagine. Like, that sounds so intense. Like... It's, it's maybe a little too intense. Like, if you're judging me, listener, like, that's okay. You should be judging me. I maybe we're maybe a little too into it. But I mean, that's like, that's the, that's the amazing thing, you know, that's like, you know, a lot of people like, you know, why do you, why do people play, you know, tabletop role playing games? But that's you know? it, right? Like, that's, that's like, <laughs> this is where you go to kind of work out yeah. your work out your stuff, you know, and to have those great moments with friends yeah. and to, to really like connect, you know, in, in a way that you can't connect by just having a conversation about it. Mm -hmm. You kind of like, you know, it's it's part that's, you know, that's part of the fantasy aspect of it. You 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 let yourself get kind of lost in those characters. And like, you know, a lot of people say like the characters you play are like the. You know the, the you know when you create a character, you create something you want to be, or you you kind of take part of yourself and like put it out into you know. I mean, I could definitely say I've done that a couple times with my characters. You know, like most of my characters, are like really strong, like you know, strong, proud, you know, warrior types. Because like you know, I, you know, deep down, you know, I really want you know, you want to be strong, you want to be something, you know, you know. It's it's just that's the interesting thing. That's really amazing. Wow. I really wish, like, <laughs> I wish you recorded these things. <laughs> I would definitely love to well, be a fly we, on the wall. We always do. Like, oh, man, we're going to make this into a TV series. We're going to make this into a book series. We're going to do something like that. But, I mean, I think at the end of the day, a lot of times, uh, except for the stuff we do specifically for podcasts, you got to think to yourself, like, this sounds so great when we're yelling and screaming at each other in the table. And it, it plots out so well in our heads. But maybe from the outside, we look a little, just a little crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Definitely. Oh, that's crazy. Oh well. <laughs> uh, I guess for for me, one another one of my favorite role playing moments. Um, it's not a Dave game. Uh, not uh, it's not a Dave game. It's another game uh, I played with a friend of mine called a uh, friend of mine Sam. And uh, if he's listening, hey Sam, and uh, a friend of mine Paul. Um, uh, but uh, uh, we. Uh, 
So this was just a one shot game uh, that we were playing at like a beach, uh, you know, beach house or something, you know, one day, one day. And uh, <laughs> it's so it was one of the very rare occasions where I played a bard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> something about the beach just brings out the bard in you. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so I was playing a bard and uh, my friend Sam was playing a cleric uh, of his a god of his own creation. It's like a god of alcohol. Uh, you know. <laughs> Even though he doesn't drink, but it's funny that way. Um, but um, so, like, you know, we were in this inn. And I come down to the bar, and you know, he he, you know, he would say a line. Like, you know, he would be at the bar drinking. He's like, you know, he talks to the bartender. He says, you know, uh, you know, a man can only stand on one. You can't stand on one leg, which is, you know, you want another. You know, he wanted another drink. And then, as a bard, I would. Play and I played a song. Obviously, I don't remember the song off the top of my head, but I I, I improved a song on the spot. It was a little rhyming limerick kind of thing, you know. Uh, it was fun, um, <laughs> but so what we later found out during the course of this game is it was a Groundhog Day kind of moment. We 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 did something and then we replayed that entire day again. So he, I would go downstairs. He would say, "Can't stand on one leg." I would sing the song again. We did this probably like five times, and it was like late. So I was like, you could feel the exasperation <laughs> each time we had to repeat the day. And it's like, oh, this is what Bill Murray and Groundhog Day felt like. It's just like, uh, but like that kind of like you know, I mean, because I did it, you know, it was like. It was, this is it we played along it's part of the fun it's like you know yes I'm gonna sing a song again I'm gonna be tired by the end of it but like I'm gonna do it it's just like oh we were, we were cracking up that was such a good <laughs> good game uh. so I would say that my uh, my next favorite roleplay moment actually spawned from the name of James's game that he just said um, damage control so it's 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 an old story but it was I was playing in a game. I don't remember who was DMing, uh, but I remember the game was myself, my buddy Phil, Rocco, and Joe. And I remember I was not DMing. Who you I was, I was, I was, I was PCing, and the words, or I'm sorry, yours was collateral damage. Collateral damage, yeah. Excuse me, his was collateral damage. Our word was damage control, <laughs> which by proxy was because of collateral damage. We played a game where we were, I think most of us were some, one or one of us might have been good. I might have been chaotic neutral at the time. But by the end of that game, we were all just like, there was no, there was no way to describe it. We were evil <laughs> <laughs> because we, we snuck into this, this mansion. And I remember we, it was like supposed to be like a reconnaissance thing. Maybe we're supposed to steal something. It, it was supposed to be an in and out type job, which in D and D or any world of plot and entertainment <laughs> is never a thing. There's no such thing. It's never that simple. So what we ended up doing was we snuck into this, this mansion. We're going through all these floors. And I just remember, that we got to the place we needed to be at, but there was somebody there to stop us. So we came to blows and we ended up killing this person. (laughs) Whether or not that was justified, I don't remember. (laughs) But I remember saying, like, what are we going to do? There's a body here now. (laughs) We need to figure out what to do. Probably (laughs) wasn't (laughs) justified. Then in came somebody else by pure chance into the room and I just screamed damage control. (laughs) 
because it was and then, and then it, as collateral damage what ended up happening was we just murdered and this cook just came out and literally as I was told the cook was coming out of the kitchen I just screamed the words fireball rolled my 66 at the time of third edition and I just absolutely I might have even maximized it because I was a oh war major at the time so it's just like maximize fireball just boom just like the way it was described in the role play was like they were carrying this platter and they were doing that thing where they're backing out of the door and turning and turned into immolation. And I was like, we had to do it. it this is collateral damage. It, we, had to, we had to have damage control. Like if they saw the body, we, we would have been made. Somebody else walked in. We murdered them too. And then, and then just every time we would see anybody, we started running through the mansion for our lives. And even if they hadn't seen anything and wouldn't see anything, I would just yell damage control and we would just smoke them where they stood. It then got even more gruesome because there were some goblins. And I don't remember why the goblins were there, but I do remember we had to get past a horde of them and they were checking on the other guards like like we found goblin guards killed the goblin guards and the horde of goblins behind the door we needed to get through were coming in to check on like oh, no. the guards themselves <laughs> and it was one of those situations where we couldn't just yell damage control and win like we needed a strategy so I'm like what can we do so we try we used magic and faked their voices but then they wanted like they wanted visual confirmation. Like our DM was making it stupidly hard, essentially forcing us to figure out a way to get caught. And I just remember my solution at the time, which then is what stopped the game because then I was told I had to be evil. Like my, my alignment had shifted. And I was like, what? You've that's, gone not, too that's far. not evil. <laughs> yeah. I, I cut the goblin's head off and then shoved my hand up there like a puppet <laughs> oh and tried to puppet its mouth. <laughs> I don't know. Around the side of the door while imitating the voice of the goblin. I, I think that alignment change might be justified. <laughs> looking looking at it from this perspective, yeah, it probably it, it was probably justified. But it, it all in all it made for a, a pretty fantastic roleplay moment. Oh we'll do one more each, I think, before yeah, we move yeah. on. That should be good. I was gonna say, I feel like we could go on forever. But I think this last my last example, um is probably something that I guess is a bit more about the plane and the people um so every year i for work for the past five years i've gotten to go out to san francisco in the end of november and i have a group of friends out there um who i knew from high school who now live out there and uh i'm there every sunday night i'm there on a sunday night every time and that's when their DD night is and they're like oh do you want me to cancel and i'm like do, 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 do you want to cancel or whatever i'm like no I love D&D. And the guy who runs it is like, great, because nobody else knows how to play. So I play this character that is just like the most over-the-top nightly night. <laughs> I Just the funniest, like, why, hello there. Hark, how do you do? You know, like, <laughs> just the most over-the-top, most ridiculously cliched character. And it's a person that they run into now for five years, every year, this same weekend, no matter where they are. They were in the Tomb of Horrors, just walked out of a door. And it was just, it's just such a, it's just a fun thing that now I get to do every year, you know, and I think that kind of helps with the moments, you know, the people you get to play with. Oh, yeah. And I think that's... It's like a know. guest starring role on a TV series. Exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's so much fun. So that's, that's awesome. I think, one of my favorites. That's, that's, that's really awesome, actually. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's funny. <laughs> 
for me, I guess for my last one is probably like the most iconic one in my D and D role playing experience. I would say. Like, oh, I might need to switch mine because <laughs> if you're gonna say what I was about to say, probably not. Um, yeah, I uh, have to switch what I was oh, gonna I'm say. Sorry. Okay. I mean, if you want to like no, extrapolate no, you, you, on you it, you do. I got. I got plenty. I mean, I got plenty, so, please. I guess it is. Like that's funny that I mentioned it as my iconic and David knew exactly which one it was. Oh yeah. Um so one of my favorite characters ever was a character Terrazos Welm the monk. Um he was my he was like probably one of my first like serious role playing characters. Um and we were speaking of the Tomb of Horrors. <laughs> We, uh, we were in the two we were running the two Dave was running the Tomb of Horrors at the time. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Tomb of Horrors. If you're not, spoiler alert, uh there's a there's a face at the end of the first hallway. Like when we say the first hallway, <laughs> we mean there are two fake entrances in the Tomb of Horrors before the real entrance. And then when you actually get into the tomb in that very first hallway, <laughs> first room, right there. At end the, of the hallway. At the very end of the hallway is a face, a, a big face, um, a demonish face, and in the, the inside of his mouth is pure black. And, you know, we saw this, like, huh, that's kind of weird. Uh, so we took some stuff, and we, we like, took a rock, threw it in, uh, you know, we didn't hear anything. Uh, and, you know, I was like, you know, maybe we have a stick. Uh, we didn't have a stick or something like that. So I was like, hey, you know what? Maybe this is a secret tunnel. Uh, I'm going to climb in, and uh, I'm going to see where it leads. Um, it was an orb of annihilation. <laughs> So I'm so immediately annihilated. Um, but um, but I really like this character. So we were all like, man. And also, I should mention that the party he was with had no chance to complete that tomb without him. <laughs> so this is bad for everybody. It was really bad. I mean, um, you probably remember more than me, but I don't remember how we got to this point. But they, oh, do you want me to say? Yeah, sure. Okay. So well, how about this? We'll combine our favorite moments okay. as I was going to say it. So taking over as the DM, what ended up <laughs> happening was I'm thinking to myself, well, what can I do? So I'm instantly looking up the rules of annihilation. <laughs> Like, how bad is bad? Can we scrounge up some money and go get a res? No. I believe oh, not even a true resurrection would no, do. It needed a wish spell. How bad is bad? Oh, really bad. Yeah. It was wish, true wish, I think, or by divine intervention. Side quest. The characters ended up going on a side quest to partition the gods. I had haphazardly had them quickly find a way to speak to the gods. They went to the D&D version of Mount Olympus. They had one by one state their case to the gods. Saying why. Why these mere mortals are even there in the first place. And why the gods themselves should intervene to bring back another mere mortal. <laughs> what would be the reason? Why? And it's like, that was like so crazy. Cause I'm like, I'm on the, you know, the sidelines of this. And it's like, you're watching them having to like, you know, defend you. And like, uh, I think like, you know, my past exploits in the adventure definitely helped me. Like, I know there was like a riddle that I helped solve. Like I also, this was at the time, this was around the time of the dungeons and dragons, forgotten realms, time of troubles. Mm-hmm. So 
and around the time that Cyric and Char were planning, which they're always planning something bad for Mistra, and Ao was there as like a judge. Like they met Ao, the god that <laughs> nobody meets, the super god, um, the Alpha Omega, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and like I just remember that they included the fact that they had discovered that there was more at work in the Tomb of Horrors than just some old wizard. That there was in fact there was divine trickery going on as well. So showing that the stakes were not just mortal stakes, they were in fact divine stakes as well, helped their cause. Mm -hmm. And so moved was the god Moradin, more moved than anybody on the case <laughs> that he he went they they ultimately did go forward with bringing me back uh to life but morden was so moved that he he forged because my he wanted to forge me i believe he wanted to forge me a weapon uh but he was a monk i was a monk i didn't use weapons i used my fists so he's like you know he i don't quite remember but it's like very well then so he crafted me at like he made my arms adamantine. I think they started adamantine. Adamantine. He gave me Jack's arms from Mortal Kombat. James <laughs> became Jax. That's exactly what I did. And, and it was like the, they were leg. They were legendary legacy. Legacy weapons. They were legacy weapons. Which I don't know, James, if you remember the thirty rules. I do. I do. But yeah. So legacy weapons for those of you at home. Um, what they do is they have a quest made a bunch of quests actually so major quests. and minor and the more of you the more of them you complete the more upgraded your legacy weapons become the more abilities that unlock the better that they become so he didn't just give him jack's arms he gave him jack's arms that could become god jack's arms <laughs> it was like uh, and like some of the like i believe like one of the quests was i had to dig like near with the his bare hands with my bare hands to the core oh. of the planet <laughs> And like another one was I that was had, a major quest. <laughs> another one was I had to plant a tree uh for the goddess of nature at the time, I believe, or fertility. He had he had one quest for every goodly god that had voted on his side. <laughs> Each of them had given in their own task of like, hey, you made us intervene. Now you gotta, you know, quid pro quo. Yeah. <laughs> gotta pay back. Gotta pay, yeah. So gotta, like, gotta pay like, the piper. You know, uh, one of them has to, I had to plant a tree and make sure nothing happens She's to my the lucky. tree. Yeah. Uh, I think I had to fight a golem with my bare hands, unaided, and defeat it. <laughs> like, <laughs> there were some, there were some crazy quests. Uh, I wish I remembered all of them. I think I still have a notebook somewhere. That group never <laughs> got past pretty much the second or third room of two more. Like, that, that character. Like, They're too I, busy doing other stuff. They got, they got waylaid into other things and it just never it never returned but like if i if i could ever have a character that would be my character it would be jack's arms terrazzo's the monk yeah like that would be uh because that was great that was the best <laughs> i was so powerful <laughs> yeah. i could flurry so much in third that was <laughs> that was back also in like you know that was that was a more ridiculous game so to speak i've been a part of ridiculous games i was just about to say that you know probably if i had to pick another role play moment because i'm i you know i kind of p- p- piggybacked off of yours but i was going to say um in college our buddy vin ran um a regular game um, a lot of us ran regular games at that time uh but in vin's game which was part of this world that a lot of the non-pro group were are a part of still in some way and you know they it's kind of this this whole group um vin is or was at least at that time, 
very fast and loose with the rules of Dungeons and Dragons. That hasn't changed. (laughs) (laughs) And I just remember in Vin's game, it's just a quick role play moment, but I just remember I was like, if he's going to be fast and loose with his rules for his characters and stuff, I might as well see what I can get out of it. And I remember I made a half dragon and it wasn't just a half dragon. It was a half dragon that could dual wield two handed weapons which was the thing before World of Warcraft did it. <laughs> Titan's group. And I had like ridiculous attacks. I had wings. I think I named him Talon too. Not really that original, but I named him Talon. And I just remember playing that character for the first time and everybody just being like, why? <laughs> why are you here? Why are we here? What is this? How can you... This is so overpowered, <laughs> and I just, I just remember the feeling. This, like, I just, I felt like a in in the world of that game. I really did feel like a god. I took like four or five. Att- I had like two or three attacks with each sword at the time, and, and I was swinging ridiculous damage. They, all the characters did because I, I, you know, you guys have been playing games like that for forever. I came in there with like this like level one half lane, half lane, and like AJ's character reminded me of like Dredd Stewarden. His like ranger thing could like literally like in a dance god that didn't for hours. Exist. <laughs> Believed in a god that didn't exist, but you know, Vin's character was like crazy. Everybody was just like so pa- so overpowered, and then and it was he like, had, oh, like, you don't a follow. shadow god with him at all times. All times he could go and do things with him and Andy was I think his character was like technically dead like five times over it was just it was every character had some ridiculous shenanigans going on it's like that sounds cool yeah whatever just write it on your sheet that sounds cool yeah it was just like it really wasn't about whether or not you know whether or not the the rules didn't matter because at the end of the day like the game was going to be the game that the dungeon master wanted it to be regardless of what you could and couldn't do, which mm-hmm. was great. But it also just made it like there were just sometimes you would just look at yourself and you'd just be like, how did we get here? <laughs> <laughs> why is this? Why is this happening? How is this allowed? Uh, oh man. I'm glad funny. we all shared those. That was great. Yeah. Um, moving on to our next topic, believe it or not, we have more topics in D and D. Our next topic for the night is, Oh, I should have mentioned with a special guest this is a special episode we'll be running a little bit longer so if you were planning on doing this on your daily commute which you normally do in the morning you might need one or two commutes maybe three for this podcast um but next up and this kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of what we've been talking about what do we individually think is the best alignment and why to our special guest james you first ah I'm a chaotic good sort of guy, right? It's not lawful. Lawful good's a bit of a joke. You know what I mean? I mean, there are great ways to play it, like <laughs> you were saying with Castiel or whatever, but the traditional way is like, oh, no, we can't do that. You know, that's not good. You know, so I think chaotic good is is kind of the best, right? I, I can't stray too far, you know? Like, I could never be like a chaotic evil character. I just don't have it in me. But, you know, you get it got to be able to bend the rules a little bit. You got to be able to bust a little heads, you know, so chaotic good's the way to go. You know, you got to do something good, but you got to break a few arms and legs to get there. uh, You know, if anybody's nose. As long as good gets done. Exactly. As long as good gets done, you hurt a couple of people along the way, no big deal. Um, For me, uh, going along the same lines, um, 
I'm more of a neutral good kind of guy, um, just because like I I like being good, but I don't like being chaotic so much that I do whatever. But I don't like being lawful so much that I'm, you know, constrained by rules. So I kind of like to ride that. Like I'm good. I do good things, um, but I don't like you know. I'm not going to bend my you know bend over backwards for the the law. And I'm not gonna maim someone. <laughs> but, oh, no, no, maim it. <laughs> but I mean, you know, in all honestly, though, I would love to play a lawful evil character because lawful evil is just such an interesting aspect. You don't really play a lot of evil campaigns, but like, lawful evil is like one of those ones where like you. No, you're not. You're you're against what is the concept of good, but you abide by a code that you will not like. You abide by a system of your own rules that you will not like. You know, you're not gonna. You're not gonna. You're like a like a mafioso, so to speak. You know, you have honor in a way, but you still want to get your. You you do not adhere to good, so to speak. So for me, um, it's a tie. Way back in the day, it used to always be chaotic neutral uh, because I just wanted to do whatever I wanted, and that's the do whatever you want alignment. Chaotic stupid. (laughs) Nowadays, um, my two favorite alliances, I have two. There's one I normally play and one that I always want to play but can't. The one that I always play is chaotic good. This is fun. This is funny that this. This is funny that this happened between the two of you. I should say that the one that I always play is chaotic good, um, because I I don't like I like being free willed. I want to. I don't want to necessarily have to abide by local law or even the law of my own code per se. I just kind of want to do general good, but go my own way about it as best as I can. Like I know where the I know where the, my character knows where the line is knows what would be considered like evil so to speak but and will always try to do the right thing but you know if doing the right thing involves breaking and entering like my character wouldn't hesitate yeah you know, no big deal no big deal it's like nobody's getting hurt i'm doing something to save people like this is fine my character wouldn't go castiel and torture somebody just for the right <laughs> of it like they know like my my kin my regular cat a good character knows that like you know once again the difference of good and evil but i don't like being constrained however the alignment i always want to play is lawful evil because i find that lawful evil is very much chaotic good from a different perspective they are two sides of the same coin. I really feel that. Mm-hmm. And, and and it might be because they are, in fact, exact opposites, chaotic and law and good and evil. Um, and I think the concept that you and I have of lawful good isn't necessarily... Or excuse me. Uh, yes, excuse me. Of lawful evil isn't necessarily every character, but I have what I call the Jarlaxel concept of lawful evil, where you can still be overall seen from the perspective of an outside viewer as a decent and honorable like person. But at the end of the day, if we were to overanalyze the methods and means by which I'm going about what I'm doing, it's definitely not a good person. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? In terms of the generic sense. But it's the, once again that moral dilemma. Um, Jarlaxle, such a complicated person. You look up his alignment, he has lawful evil. But the more and more you read these books, you're just like, this is such a good, honorable guy that won't hesitate to kill somebody like <laughs> you know what i mean so I, I i do think that lawful evil i would love to play but the problem is i feel like 
a lot of a campaign shouldn't have to be a good campaign or an evil campaign. If you have a good group of role players, you should be able to play the alignment you want to play. If you're even using alignments, some games don't. Some games just say use that as a code for you to role play by, but you don't really have an alignment so much as you're just a human being. Um, but if you are using alignments and you're using them properly, then you should be able to mesh with anybody. The chaotic, you should find a way with the chaotic evil and the lawful good. Find a way to figure that out. However, it's difficult. So for the synergy of the group, I tend to go for chaotic good because I just don't feel like getting over that initial hump, especially if there tends to be like the alignment sniffer in the party, mm-hmm. you know, that lawful good paladin that, that's that detect, paladin. Evil, detect evil, detect evil, detect <laughs> evil. I don't feel like having that conversation in the game and going through the whole, well, how can we trust you into this and that? I, I would just, I'd prefer to skip all of that that naturally would come out because I know with bad role playing, it would just stunt the game and just go for synergy with chaotic good. But I would like to play lawful evil. I think, and I like to, I try to encourage people if they want to do evil characters, I try to push them like the lawful evil route. I I think chaotic evil or neutral evil is difficult, particularly chaotic evil, because it is kind of like, well, it's having, you can, it's having the Joker in your party. You can do whatever you want sort of evil. And I mean, we can, we can run with that, but I just like, there will be at times when you are the enemy of the, your own party. Of like it, it's going to happen, but lawful evil. I feel like there's a way to, to synchronize that with, you know, who, who you're playing with. You know what I mean? Like even lawful good and lawful evil, like there, there's a way to kind of wedge the story so that the betterment of, you know, all people needs to come before your personal vendettas Mm -hmm. or that sort of thing. I think one of the, one lawful evil character that I always wanted to play, but like never really comes up is a necromancer. Like not, he, you want to be a good necromancer, but it's hard to be a good necromancer because you, what you're doing is inherently evil by violating it's, life. <laughs> I mean, but that's also that depends on the world building. Yeah, because in the rules of D and D, there is never a time where it says necromancy the magic is inherently evil. It's It's how it is perceived by the world you are in. Yeah. Which is another interesting thing. But yeah, I agree. You know, this is kind of goes back to what we said an episode or two ago when we talked about our favorite monsters. Mm -hmm. All my characters are mages and eventually they will all be liches and I'm (laughs) sure they won't be good at that point. They have to be evil. So, I mean, they'll try to do good, but it just may end up coming out through the wrong means. But you're kind of thinking the opposite. Using the wrong... Using the wrong means to do good, yeah. as opposed to using it's good like, to do you know, the wrong thing. It's like, you know, this is the magic I'm really good at. I'm good at raising corpses. You know, like, and it's like, you want to be one of those people that, I mean, you know, kind of like going to like certain fantasy sources, like Dresden Files. You know, there are spirits and, you know, imagine a world where there are spirits and like people who are restless, so to speak, or like they have things they need to do, but they couldn't do it in life. So they linger. So like if you can be a necromancer, be like, I will give you the means to fulfill what you wanted to do in life. You just have to be able to be comfortable with me raising you from the dead. <laughs> and you're going to have to do a favor for doing me along the way. You know, fight for me, do a little yeah. work. I mean, you have to remember that. Then the argument comes in, you know, is definitely necromancy is a, could be considered a form of slavery because you have the cleric in the party that's just like, I can do the same thing by resurrecting them. Yeah. 
Tr- I mean, truly and fully. Truly and fully. But it's like, you know, this is a quick and dirty right. way to it's, do it. It's, it's a cool character it, concept. It's a cool character concept, I, definitely. I think one of the, like, I mean, sorry to, like, harp, because, like, it's like it's one of these things I wanted to make. So do it. You know, it's like, but it's, I can't. Why because, not? like, you know, it's like, there's a paladin usually. We, we, I'm, I'm, <laughs> we can make that I'm, work. I'm going to once again plug the fact that we have this game that Jengis did not attend the first <laughs> session of. You have an opportunity. Oh, my God. But just from <laughs> the sound of what the game. No, make, make the necromancer. Necromancer. Romancer? Totally. Oh, if he's a good God. guy, why not? I mean, from the, I mean, from what I've heard, I mean, not to spoil anything, but from what I've heard about the party, so to speak, so far, I don't think it would be too unwell. Nobody's nobody's lawful good. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I'm chaotic good, and even then, like I, like once again, if I see you're a good person at heart, I'm going to judge you by that, not by the laws. I would have to definitely come up with. Huh, you did it this time. I did it this time. <laughs> um. Okay. Um, uh, I would definitely have to find a way to kind of, you know, I, I'd have to work on it. There's definitely a lot of backstory and a lot of having to explain yourself to a lot of people. Uh, I mean, in the end, though, they're just a cleric. They just deal pain instead of heal. <laughs> I mean, we were just talking about best roleplay moments. To that's me, true. that's that's the type of character I oh, want. Man. I want a character that's going to go in there and... Make us all have a little argument, a little fight, because, you know, if we're all in synergy the whole time just beating monsters with sticks, I don't know, we play another game. That's yeah. true. You know? Exactly. All right. Um, last, to wrap up our Dungeons & Dragons section, our extra lengthy D&D section, is this month's Unearthed Arcana came out. It's all about feats. Um, specifically, it is mostly weapon and... Uh, I guess job based mm-hmm. feats um, all of these feats sort of revolve around specializing in a certain weapon if your character is like wants to be overly proficient in a certain type of weapon and in the job feats I believe they have the alchemist feat which allows you to be essentially the fifth edition version of a, of a true alchemist and there were two others burglar burglar if you want to burgle Bond. Master and Master of Disguise. Master of Disguise. <laughs> Am I not turtle enough the for the Turtle, turtle Club? <laughs> it is. That movie is one of the best, worst movies I think I've ever seen. And it's not just my opinion. I have so many of the students that say the exact same thing. That's funny. Um, wow. I figured that would be too old for some no, of the students. No, not. Wow. Yeah. Good for him. Good for you, Dana Kari. But at, <laughs> at the same time, you know, just to give you a reference of, of 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 common how old do you feel? Here's how old you feel. For this is this is special wisdom, not related at all. Kids nowadays of the high school persuasion know that the Smash Mouth All Star song is not Smash Mouth All it's not All Star by Smash Mouth. It's just that's the sh- song from Shrek. That's it. That's all they know. They don't even know that it was originally a monkey song? Nope. Sad. It was a monkey song? Yeah. Oh, it was wow. originally a song by the monkeys. Wow. Well, hmm. Hey, but hey, they with the monkeys. But they, do, they just don't know. It's the, it's the Shrek song. You know how old that makes me feel when they say that's the song from Shrek, right? I'm like, uh, anyway. Anyways. Um, all in all, I think it's interesting. You know, feats in fifth edition are definitely something that are I'm tinkering with. I have to really, there has to be something I really want to do with my character 
to make me pursue a feat because giving up my bonuses, I know that some feats come inherently with ability score increases, but giving up my fourth or eighth or whatever level increase for a feat, I don't know. I tend to want to just have the better stats. But um, what I like about this document is that it kind of goes into, uh, we'll, we'll put a link to this in the show notes, but um, it, it goes into a little bit about their design philosophy about feats in 5th edition, uh, because in previous editions, feats were just kind of like things, everyone had feats, and they were just things kind of like, almost like just augments, like sometimes it augments your spells, sometimes it augments your strength, you know, but they're just kind of like, almost like, you know, you, there there came to a point where like you had to take X, Y, and Z to be the best at this, or like you know, uh, you know, it was just kind of given. You know, like oh, you're a fighter, you know, you're going to take power attack because it helps. You know, um, there is power attack in five E, um, and it's really good. But, um, <laughs> but you know, but what they go into in this is that they want the feats to kind of like go hand in hand with like role playing character creation kind of thing. You know, if you're a, uh, you know, say you're like, my character was the best at, you know, um, you know, is the best at, we- you know, weaponry, you know, instead of just taking like, uh, the really good swords. No, they're good with weapons, you know. So instead of, you know, Warhammer Master, you have Fell Handed, which is your master of axes and hammers. And, you know, you get bonuses based on the fact that you're using axes and hammers. Um, you know, it's, it's very like there's more flavor to it. There's more combat options to it, which I like. And definitely I feel like it's, it's more of impact. It's worthy of replacing a stat increase and i think i like that feats are a little more limited in in both their options and and kind of their implementation and that you have to weigh whether you're going to you know take that feat or use that stat increase i mean we were talking about how broken characters were in that one game that we used to run in i mean that was all because we're just like oh i'm just gonna take 20 feats or i'm gonna make my own feat you know well i'm a human so i get extra feats you know this is obviously 3, 3.5, because, you know, there was nothing in between that. Um, you know, that and 5th. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eat but, it, 4th edition. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, like, I like that it's, there's more weight to them, I feel like, you know? That they're not, they're not like, I feel like they're like, just like pennies mm-hmm. in 3.5. It was just like, taking all the feats. And it was also, if you wanted... What you really wanted was that like eighth feet down the line, but you right. needed to take the first seven to get it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like this is like this feet is what you want. It's what you need. It helps shape your character. And it's, as you said, it's worth it if you don't, you know, yeah, it's worth it to make your character better than just to increase the stats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for instance, one of these is uh, one of the feats in this document, Spear Mastery, just stuck out to me um, because with it, it kind of gives you more. Uh, it, it increases your you're good at taking you're using spear uh, normally a spear is a one-handed weapon uh, a lot of people don't use it as a two-handed weapon but they uh, that's normally uh, for pole arms like you know uh, a halberd or something like that but for spear master you get a plus one bonus to attack rolls you make with a spear uh, when you use a spear its damage die changes from a d6 to a d8 from a d8 to a d10 when you wield with two hands which is really good because then like hey I'm really good at using the spear. I use it with two hands and you do more damage with it. Otherwise, normally you wouldn't. 
Um, and also it gives you gives you two things like you could uh, like like with a spear and its actual benefit in medieval combat you can receive you can if you're charging someone with a spear you're going to have a bad time <laughs> because they're going to set up that spear and then you're going to use your own momentum to damage you and it, it gives you something like that where you could take a bonus action and uh, make it so that they impale themselves on your spear uh, and you can also uh, take a bonus action to kind of because a spear gives you more reach you can increase your reach by uh five feet which is pretty cool yeah uh, and i think like that's that's worthy if you want to make a character who's like if you want to be speary the spearman yeah you know <laughs> if you want to be spearman you want to be you want to be turr i think that's pretty cool and i like that he puts like you know like they said, it's a good if you're into game design. It's a good document to read because it gives you like in, insight into that. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, so that pretty much wraps up Dungeons and Dragons for the night. Moving into our board game section, mm-hmm. we have like two double headers, <laughs> so to speak. S- yeah, starting with our modern game, we're going to talk about Agricola and by proxy Caverna. <laughs> so uh, Agricola. You farm. <laughs> oh, come on. You don't make that sound interesting at all. <laughs> uh, it's a resource management game. There's different days and, or is it weeks? Weeks, Day. days. It's like months. Months. It's like it goes through there's a season. A, there's a time system <laughs> to abide by. Um, and during these time periods, you gain resources. Um, and by gaining resources, you can then buy and sell and gain more resources and then increase your family size and your your home structure um but with that you need to gain even more resources to feed and support all of the new family members plus the livestock that you have you can build you can do all these fun things that eventually culminate into um the last of the time cycle that they give at which point you tally up your score based on a a card sheet that everybody has that kind of tells you what's worth how many points and whoever has the most points wins that's kind of a very simplified version of the game um it is a lot of fun but i find that certain strategies in it tend to work better than others and i'm not just going to say my normal strategy which of course is just be a dick Um, (laughs) while that does work well i find that there's a lot of chuffa in agricola um like things that i'm like as I've played it, I've realized that I, I, especially because, by the way, if you're looking to play Agricola, you you could go and support your local hobby store, and we would be very very happy if you did that and get the actual version of the game. But if you're just if you're just looking to try it, I would suggest it's on the app store, the app store on and, iOS and the Play Store, and yeah, and Google, so yeah, Android or Apple, whatever you've got, you can play Agricola. Give it a shot. But what do you guys think about my statement about when I say that some of the mechanics of the game might be chuffa? What is chuffa? Um, oh, sorry. For lack of a better word, bullshit. I, I definitely think there are things that are distracting. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. these are, like, useful or they seem useful. But then as you go to use them, you're like... But is that really that useful? I think, yeah, I can kind of follow you a little bit on that. There's there's uh, cards that go along with the game that give you certain access to certain building, th- things you can build, upgrades you can get, um, jobs and people that can help you. I find that a lot of that 
tends to just be on the side. Like if it's convenient at the time, I might use it. But because of how quickly there's a harvest, the harvest is the time at which you have to have enough food to feed your food family. To feed your family, and you get heavily penalized for not feeding your family. <laughs> it's a big deal. I find that with the limited amount of time you have, the harvests get they come sooner and sooner as the cycles come on. That by the time you get to a point in the game where you could you finally have enough resources to do all these cool things you really wanted to do in the beginning of the game, the game is already over. So I tend to spend my time pretty much now gathering livestock and increasing my home size. I don't necessarily even increase. If I can, I might increase the style of home. Uh, for those of you listening, you can, I think you start with wood, right? A uh, dirt, really. Dirt. <laughs> and then becomes wood to stone. Stone. That's it. Right. So I tend to even skip that most of the time. The thatch. It's thatch house. Yeah, thatch to wood to stone. I might even skip the upgrade to stone. It's good, and there is a bonus for it at the end of the game. But I tend to be overly focused on making bigger fences, getting more livestock, and increasing my home size. Everything else in the game to me, outside of that and having enough food, everything else in the game is like chuffa to me. It's secondary because I find that anytime I focus on anything that's not increasing families, because I should also mention the point to increasing your family is not just to gain points at the end, but your babies very quickly turn into adults, at which point they allow you to take more actions during your turn, which in turn allows you to do more things, which in turn allows you to gain more points. So I find that increasing family size and gaining livestock seems to be the things that win me the most games. Everything else is just sort of if convenient or if I have nothing to do on that particular action, maybe I'll go do this thing. I tend to find that the game works, as you said, best when you focus on the core mechanics as your winning strategy. Focus on the core mechanics, handle your flow, that's cash, to bring in livestock, to feed your family, to make more people, to bring in more cash, to feed your family, to make more livestock, blah, 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 blah. I feel like a lot of those extra mechanics, though, if played right, do really well at hurting other people oh yeah so i think that's kind of the balance with agricola is if you have a overwhelming enough leader you're secure enough in your strategy and you can set kind of your cash flow as it is early enough to just set that pace really fast you don't need to worry about it if you're trying to come from behind i think you need those other mechanics mm-hmm. um well <laughs> i was like uh i'll say some things um but um so agricola i love agricola agricola is it's probably like one of my favorite games probably my all i can't say it's my all-time favorite game because we'll talk about what my all-time favorite game is but it is it's a euro style game uh so it's not random Except for, like, the jobs are random Mm -hmm. and the tools you get are random. Yeah, those are the cards Uh, I was talking about before. Those are random, but for the most part, everything is as it is. Uh, And the the amount of different actions change depending on how many players there are. Um, And what I like about it is it's it's called a worker placement game. That's the the proper term. Uh, And because you use your workers to place them to take actions. And there are other games that use similar system. Um... But what I love about Agricola is that you, what they feel is chuffa, I feel is 
options and variety. Like you don't have to focus on one thing particular. I don't have to only grow corn or carrot or vegetables. I could focus more on getting a lot of sheep. I can have so many sheep, but the points, uh, the the thing about Agricola is that points cap out after a certain bit. So like you, if you have more than so many sheep, you don't get more points. So really it's trying to, the thing about Agricola is maximizing the amount of points you can get before the end of the game. Um, and also you lose points if you don't have anything in that like you don't have enough of something i would also point out though that the two things you mentioned as options were the two things we said were the ways to win the game sorry (laughs) livestock and harvesting your it's like i said it's it's and that's and i don't think that's chuffa Mm -hmm. having a variety of vegetables is great because it works out well for you that's how you win the game if you lose one thing in the harvest you're not screwed i'm talking the cards the cards the job systems all that extra stuff that's the stuff that I really do believe so then is chuffa. Let me talk about my favorite game, which is uh, they they made a so Agricola is the farmers. They made a game called Caverna, called the Cave Farmers, where you play as a family of dwarves who live in a cave, and you you can instead of having a farm to develop, you develop your cave house. So it's just like dual monsters. Yes. <laughs> I was gonna um, say, is this anything like Dwarf Fortress? That's <laughs> kinda. Um, so you have you have a for you have the forest too. So you do make a farm, uh, but it's not as strict in certain ways um, when it comes to like farming. Uh, so like you know you don't have to really focus crazily on the farm if you don't want to, and you can you can fence off an area like you can have uh, you know you can have dogs and you can have like. <laughs> That do certain things. There's a lot of ways to score in this game, but really, what I'm getting down to is the core of it is that there are instead of having random cards and random tools, there are instead upgrades to your house that you can buy that kind of you can dictate how you're going to play the game based on those cards. So there are certain how rooms you can get where you can convert certain resources to other resources so if you're lacking in resource you get this room and now you can focus on the one resource you're good at but still make up for some of the the back resources you don't have and um there's also like cards where like you get more victory points based on having a lot of sheep pretty much um and it's like so then you can say i'm just going to focus on sheep yeah i'm gonna get a lot of other stuff because I want to trade and stuff like that, but or if someone's going to take you know my sheep from me, the sheep action from me, I won't be able to get it as much. But you could say like my you know I'm going to win by getting sheep, or I'm going to win by getting vegetables. And there's ways to like kind of augment that stuff, and that's what I like about Caverna is that it gives you you can dictate how you want to play. You're not dictated by the actions of others so much, but. You can find you can find your own way to victory, and may or may not work, but that's the fun of it, in my opinion. I will say that you know, Jengis says that he is very fond of these games, and he is because I remember the first time I played a Greg was through Jengis. He brought it over, and I mean, he I mean, first off, he wrecked me, and part of that was because like, like I said, 
me telling you that it's all about family size, harvesting what you need, and having livestock, that's key. Because I didn't know that, and I got distracted by all the chuffa, and I got wrecked. Um, but I also realized that Jengis is very, very overly competitive when it comes to Agricola and Caverna. <laughs> he gets... He gets upset in his soul if he doesn't win <laughs> one of those games before ah. playing them. Like, it hurts him on a fundamental level. So, here's a question for you. Uh, which would you recommend first? Uh, is like Agricola. So, you really do recommend that you play Agricola first before you play Dwarven Agricola? Yeah. Or could you just jump right into oh. Dwarven Agricola? <laughs> because, like, Dwarven Agricola can be a little intimidating because there's a lot of pieces, even more so than Agricola has a lot of pieces. Because not only do you have vegetables and livestock, but you also have rubies and ore. And, like, you know, you have all the tile space, uh, spaces for the rooms. And, like, there's, like, those change depending on how many players you have and like the actions change it's a lot it's a bit more complicated but if you're a fan of it that's why I be like, that's when I whip out Caverna like hey if you like this you're a fan of worker placement games and like as I like to call them meanie games this is a <laughs> this is the this is the flaming mignon of games this is like this is so like, Agricola <laughs> is the uh, the gateway yes drug <laughs> of the Caverna species I would say so the <laughs> I think it's so I would recommend then start with the app if you're very new to Euro style meaty games uh, because it's a great way to learn all the rules really quickly but it's best played with friends I really like it as a board game and then uh, apparently Dwarven Agricola is great too um, <laughs> and if you like those games check out the game we pitched last week Mage Knight yes. uh, another thing about Agricola not to you know, espouse more upon this game it has a family version he loves it which there's is, a family version yeah, he loves it so there's much a, they're actually family rules in the original bo uh, box. You can flip it over, and like they're they're a bit more player friendly. You don't have to worry so much about like people stealing your actions, and like that way, it's um, it's like Monopoly Junior. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> but like it's a good family game too. I feel, um, you know. If your kids are kind of old enough, I would say like <laughs> it's a good family game. You know, if your kids are thirteen, not not thirteen, maybe. I'm just but like, I'm imagining the, the scenario with me and my mother, Monopoly Junior, and playing and her wrecking me. I'm imagining the same thing in years from now with Jengis and family Agricola. It's just like, no, you'll be fine. Don't worry. All right, I take all the sheep. I take all this. I take all that. Oh, I win. Your family starved to death. You lose. Ha -ha. <laughs> it's like yes, I took the family expansion action first every single season, and I have the actions before you because I know they're coming up and i remember don't cry. <laughs> don't cry son this is only how it happens for real farmers <laughs> i'm just the bigger farm that kind of takes everything around you i'll buy your farm <laughs> anyways uh the, so all in all i give two thumbs up i would get if i had four hands so i could well you do because there's an extra two hands here <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Uh, so everybody loves Agricola. Um, once again, play the app if you want to try it. Um, unless you want to just be like really on the edge it's and not, you just want to buy it. It's not crazy expensive. It's not. I mean, but we're also saying this in terms of like board games. You should know that like common board games nowadays, we review these board games, but we never really talk prices. <laughs> but it is common for most of these board games that we talk about to be 
at a minimum of thirty dollars, and that's being generous. Yeah, Most it, are it probably is, in the fifty to a hundred range. It's a AAA video game price at some point. Caverna, you know, not to say you know it's not totally worth it, but it's like it was close to a hundred dollars when I bought it. Yeah, and I bought also additional things like organizers for my box, so I didn't have all the pieces everywhere. I got them from Home Depot, so it was like more organized and like so I put more money into this game. And then on top of that, <laughs> games like these have expansions, right? <laughs> so they've got expansions or other things you can do, which are themselves sometimes thirty dollars a pop. Yep. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> moving on to our retro game slash games, I guess, really. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about Yahtzee. Yahtzee. Classic dice rolling game. <laughs> and a more, in my, in my opinion, a more fun updated dice rolling game, Pirate Dice, as played on Pirates of the Caribbean, or Caribbean, depending on your flavor, Dead Man's Chest. So Yahtzee, I guess if I'm going to say the thing... Is a game where you you roll dice and you then score the dice in each round based on a set of uh, rules that you can choose. There are different like circumstances, like you can say like you know ones, twos, threes, straights, full house, or a Yahtzee, which is all the same dice. And depending on what how you choose to score that round of dice throws. Depends on how many points you will get. But once you've used that scoring system, if I remember correctly, you can't go back and use that same scoring system again. So let's say, you know, you decide to score on like, you say threes because you because three of your five dice end up being threes and you think that's the best you're going to do. So you say threes. So you score on that. And then later you roll something better, like four of your dice are threes. You can't choose threes again. Um, you have to choose something else. And there's like, you know, I'm I'm butchering that, but that's the general gist. You you sort of have to score based on what you get, and when you roll, you can roll up to three times, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> two well, roll once and you re roll two more times. Right. And do you get to keep remind me, you get you to can keep, keep some, certain dice and re roll others. Over. Or yeah. you can re roll everything. Um and a Yahtzee is if you get all of the same dice that that is the the like you get all sixes. Five of a kind, fifty points. Yeah, Yahtzee. Yahtzee. Um, pirate dice, its <laughs> counterpart, in my mind, um, as you might have seen from Pirates of the Caribbean, is a betting dice game. Also, where you roll, you kind of roll your dice down. Um, the six-sided dice that you use are marked two through six, and on the one side is a skull and crossbones that counts as a wild. And you go around the table making bets. <clears throat> These bets involve how many dice of a single side there are on the table. So, for instance, I might say there are... Oh, and in pirate voice, of course. <clears throat> Yar, I say there be two twos on the table. Yar, that's a safe Pirate thing. voice required? Oh, play? I'm pretty uh, sure that's half the fun I of the game. I think that's the house rule. We, <laughs> we, have, we, have, we have played the game without the pirate voice, and it is just not as fun. Um, so, when I say two twos, I mean if, let's just say, James Jenks and I were playing right now, we would each start with five dice in our cup. We would roll them. We only know our dice to ourselves. You don't show them to your opponents, obviously. And I'm saying, based on the possible combinations of dice of the 15 dice that are on the table, my bet is that two of them are on the two side. That's it. 
And as Jenga said, a pretty safe bet. The game would then pass around in the circle of players that you have. So going clockwise, James would go next and he would bet. And he has to increase the bet in some way. Here's the part of the game that I tend to have an issue with the way that they do it. Because, I mean, it works out Your fine. Things escalate quite quickly. Yeah. Um, but you can increase the number of dice that you've bet. So in other words, he could say... Th- Three twos or seven twos, whatever he wants. <laughs> That'd be a lot of twos. Yeah. <laughs> or you can increase the side of the die. So I said two twos. James could be like, Yar, there be two threes on the table. And, I, and that would be fine too. Or you can increase both. However, you can never decrease the number or the side of the die. That's the part I find weird. You'd think that the only thing you shouldn't be able to decrease is the number of dice being bet, but you, you'd think it shouldn't matter what the side of the die is because then it always ends up escalating up to sixes, sixes unless somebody gave a ridiculous bet, and that's kind of where the game just sort of gets stunted. Now, if you think someone is lying, this is how the game, you can win. It's, how you it's win. the fun part. It's the fun part. <laughs> if you think someone is lying... You can call them a liar. Anyone can call anyone else a liar at any time. You call someone a liar. Everybody reveals their dice. And you see if the person was in fact, quote unquote, lying. You know, obviously they didn't know they were going off of their own assumptions. Or if they in fact had the number of dice on the table. Whichever one of the two or the outcome, whichever one of the two were, I should say, correct in that outcome. Um wins that part of the round the other person whether it's the accuser or the person accused whoever lost removes one die from their pile and so the odds of having the dice you know in your favor lower and eventually you you play to the last person standing which is the person that still has dice by the end of the game and that's pirate dice so i knew i'd thought i'd heard of this sort of game before it's it's called a liar's dice game and it's uh, it's in fact liar's dice yes it's it's which is a south american game and uh in the united states it's sometimes commonly played as a drinking game um called uh, mexican dice oh and that's, I think, how I heard of it first. But that's that's what this is. Yeah, so that's neat. <laughs> yeah. I think the great thing about dice games with the Yahtzee or Pirate's Dice um, is that they're just really simple. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. We act like, you know, like you need Pirate's Dice. or But, I mean, if you have five dice, yeah. you're ready to go. Yep. And, you know, which is important to, I mean, realize that, you know, Caverna, Agricola, fantastic games. Not games you want to bring with you a lot of places. It takes a long time to set up, break down. There's a lot of moving parts and pieces. If you're on the go or you're going someplace quick and you want a nice quick game to play, games like Yahtzee and Pirate Dice, like James said, you have five dice, you're good to go. And Or it's very easy to just bring the box along with you. They're not big, not a lot of parts, just the dice. And if it's Pirate Dice, you have the cups, and that's it. Um, so it makes them more accessible to... I would say more accessible as party games mm-hmm. if you're going places. That's not to say you can't bring... I mean, Jenks has brought Agricola over plenty of times before <laughs> I got it myself. And he brought Caverna too. But it's also... Those are games that require a certain amount of time investment. Like Monopoly type time investment sometimes. Depends on the number of players, really. But Yahtzee, Pirate Dice, you can expect that to be over fairly quickly. That's if you want a quick and dirty game, you want to be able to play it easy. 
dice games tend to be my go-to while we're waiting for people mm. on game night. You know, everybody's supposed to be there seven o'clock. And you know, everybody's not going to be really ready to go till seven thirty. A couple of people there on time. Pop out dice game, Yahtzee, zombie dice, pirate dice, Farkle. Farkle. <laughs> You know, and it's something you can play, only takes a couple of minutes, and, you know, you got something to laugh and, and do while you're chatting and joking. Yeah. So I probably should have warned my compatriots that this was going to happen, but I didn't decide it until about eight seconds ago. I think a great way to wrap this up right now would be to play an audible game of pirate dice. <laughs> uh, I am so in. <laughs> you're need to work on me. Me terrible pirate accent, oi! You're more like the pirate from the Lego movie than Pirates of the Caribbean. Yar, I don't know how this be coming out on the capture. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, we each have our barnacle cups with our five pirate dice. I should say, we call this pirate dice because the version of this game that we bought... Um, is in fact like, pirate dice. Yeah, it's called it Pirates of the Caribbean branded game called Pirates Dice. We bought it a long time ago at Hollywood Video when Hollywood Video was still a thing. That's right. Was <laughs> from that the second right. Pirates, Dead Man's Chest. I or think the that first one, one is from Dead Man's Chest, and this one is from World's End. But uh, it, if wait, you, you have s- two. Yeah, I have I have a two player <laughs> version. Cups. I have a two player version. I have a four player version, Got so it. I can have up to six people. I mean, obviously, this dice game has no limit as no, to how you many can people play you with can. As many people yeah, as, you want. as long as you have five dice and something to put them in, you're good. All right, so get ready, Yarmages. I already speak. Yar, so we all be looking at our dice. Yar, and I will be starting the bit, and I say that there be. Yar, I be having a full. There house. be six threes on the table. Six threes. Yar, you want to take the next bet if you if you doubt me. Yar, I think this be going in a counterclockwise. No, a clockwise order. Yar, you be checking it out. All right, James. Yar, I say, or. We're gonna go with four ones, I think. Yar, that's that's wild. Ones are wild. Oh, ones are wild. Yar, I'm playing this game wrong. <laughs> also, you have to increase the side of the die or the number of the die, but ah. you can never decrease either. Ah. So I started with six threes. You can either increase the six, increase the threes, or increase both. Yar, I'd be looking. We're gonna increase the threes to four, but keep them at the same number. Yar, so your bet be six fours, be it? Yes, six fours. Yar. Yar. Six fours. Yeah, that'd be a hefty bet there, Pirate Jengis. <laughs> that'd not be a hefty bet indeed. Yeah, <laughs> 15 dice on the table. Six of them be fours, you believe that? This is the part of the game I love. <laughs> Yar, I think you'd be a liar. Yar, he called you a liar. We reveal our dice. I've got two fours between me four and me Yar, wild. I've got two fours. That's four fours. Four. That is five liar. fours. You're a liar. <laughs> so you take one die away. No. There'd be two because he has a wild. Oh, I do. I have a wild. <laughs> so you take a die away. Yes. So I want him a liar. Yar. 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 I'd be damned if I do yay. and damned if I don't. <laughs> Yar, his die rolled off the table. He'll be back. Yar, he's back. Yar, so the loser begins the bed. Pirate Jengis. Yar, I be thinking there be eight threes. Yar? (laughs) 
Eight threes. <laughs> you say that definitely be a hefty bet. But I'll go with nine threes. I'm gonna call you a liar. Yeah, I probably am. <laughs> Wait, I have four. I have two. None. None. So there'll be six threes on the table. <laughs> Damn, you, you were a liar. Yar, I was super. <laughs> I was quite a liar there. I surely thought that he had at least one. <laughs> Yar, I say this round there'll be six threes on the table of 13 dice. I say about half of them be threes. Or, of course, wilds. What do you do if dies are on Just top of each other? Just reshift your dice. <laughs> Yar. You say six, th- six threes? Yar, I say of the 13 dice, six threes be on the table. Seven threes. Seven threes. That, that'd be more than half now. Yar, I be calling you a liar. Yar, I've got three threes. Four threes. Your <laughs> <laughs> James with the with his beginners and luck seems to be doing quite well. Yeah, right. Things don't be looking good. Yeah, I, I have less grim. agency in this one. <laughs> Twelve dice on the table now. Yeah, ah, oh, I be the liar. I have to say, um, I be playing it a little safe. I see there it. Two twos on the table. Yar, that'd be a pretty safe bet. The safest. But I say there be four sixes on the table. Yar, that's still pretty safe. I know, but it's not about me. It's about when it gets to you, good sir. Yar. <laughs> Peter. <laughs> Five sixes. This is what I was waiting for. <laughs> Yar, I only have three dice. <laughs> There'll be twelve dice on the table. He say five of them be sixes. Yar. You say six. I'm going to go you liar. <laughs> You're going to call me a liar? Yar, he's calling you out. Six, six, six. Yar, you're a liar. Oh, you're a liar. I call a liar reveal. I've got one. Two. That's None. three sixes. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Yar, things don't be looking good for me. I'll be spending my days in Davy Jones's locker. Eleven dice on the table. Yar, I see that there'll be... <clears throat> My favorite bet, four fours. Yar, I say there'll be five fours on the table. I'm going to call you a liar, good sir. Oh, God. <clears throat> I have two. And I have two, which is I have one. five fours. Arr. Yar, you have two because you have a wild. Yeah, you oh. have two. There were six fours on the table. Oh. <laughs> Yar, a god king can bleed. <laughs> Into your starting bed. <laughs> Yar, what are these dice? (laughs) There'll be ten dice on the table. Yar, there'll be four twos on the table. Four twos. Four twos. Mm. I say there'll be four threes on the table. 
I call you a liar. Why you be doing this to me? <laughs> because I've got none. I, I have two. I also have none. Oh, all right then. <laughs> yar. Yar, there'll be nine dice on the table. I've come back from worse. <laughs> have you? Nope. <laughs> yar, I'd be saying that there'd be three twos on the table. Yar, I say that there'd be four twos on the table. Five twos. Of nine dice, you think five be twos, eh? Yar, I'd be hating me life right now. <laughs> five twos. You go six. I'm calling you liar. <laughs> Yar, I'd be thinking there'd be five threes on the table. Yar, you're a liar. Yar, I have one. I've got one. Okay. None. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> You'd be out of the game. <laughs> And there'd be eight dice left on the table between me and James. Yar, I'd be sent to the Shadow Realm. <laughs> It'd be my turn as it still goes clockwise despite Jengis. I say there'd be, of eight dice, four sixes on the table. Yar, this be a tense match. I'm gonna call you a liar. I've got three. None. Nuts. Yar! <laughs> Yar, this be heads up pirate dice. <laughs> Of the seven dice, I say there'd be two fives on the table. Two fives. He only has three dice. Three fives. Yar. Three fives. What say ye? Three sixes. Oh. <sighs> Yar. Yar. James be feeling the tenseness <laughs> that I love of pirate dice. I'm gonna call you a liar. I've got one. One. That'd be two. Yar! <laughs> You'd be down to only to two. There'll be six dice on the table, and the majority of them me don't have. I'm going to say... <clears throat> there be... Of the six dice, I'm going to say there be... Three sixes on the table. Ooh. It's a bull. I'm gonna call you a liar. Ooh. Do you have one? I do. I've got two. No! <laughs> There'll be five dice and it'd be your bet. Three fours. Three fours. Three fives. Yar. I'll call you a liar. How many you got? None. Yar. Yar. <laughs> he got you. How many, four, how many fours did you have? I had two. I had one, so... You were telling the truth. Of the four dice... You have three dice left, right? Yes. Of the four dice... Did you dice, even look? Yes. Okay. <laughs> of the four dice on the table... <clears throat> I say there'd be two sixes. Yar. Yar! <laughs> three sixes. I call you a liar. I only have one. I also have one. What do you go from two sixes? Three, three sixes. sixes. Liar. <laughs> three dice on the table. But now James has the advantage. Yar. Two fives. Two sixes. Of the three <laughs> dice. I say two be sixes. <laughs> Three sixes. I call you a liar. 
Yard is be attention match. They both be down to one die. Oh, I damn it. I have to go first? Yar That's terrible. You can bet one. I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> one three. <laughs> one five. Two fives. Oh liar. Oh, oh! <laughs> I'd be the winner. Eric Dave. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> And that is Pirate Dice. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in. Have a fantastic night. Have a nice night, everybody. See you oh, next Oh, we month. didn't say it, but two thumbs up for Pirate yeah, Dice. I'll yeah. give one thumb up for regular Yahtzee. Yeah, I, don't even, I can't even give a thumb. I've never played Yahtzee. <laughs> but for Pirate Dice, two thumbs up. Oh, yeah, for sure. The, the pirate voice definitely helps. I, I told you. All right. Well, now, good night. Thank okay. you, everyone. Take care. Bye. Uh, bye, everybody. Um, just so you guys know, you can check uh, me out and uh, the other people I podcast with on non-productive.com. <laughs> <laughs>